0: We're in Galatians, and we're in Galatians chapter 5, and we're in a section that that really uh, began a few verses earlier in verse 16. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21 together as we talk about the works of the flesh, but uh, I'm going to back up a a few verses, and we're just going to read beginning in uh, verse 16 through the end of the chapter as we contrast, walking by the Spirit, with walking by the flesh. And so, if you would stand with me in honor of God, very quietly, in honor of the Lord as we uh, read His Word. Paul says, Oh, there we go. But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And next week we'll look at these verses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You may be seated. And Father, we would ask by your grace that you would help us to live these things in obedience to you, that you would help us to uh, walk by the Spirit, to enable us to, to live in, in such a way that your name is, is glorified. We, we pray that you'd help us to identify uh, the deeds of the flesh and to walk in uh and in repentance from those, in, in trusting your son Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, some physical problems that we have are very easy to diagnose, and in some physical problems that we have are a little more difficult to diagnose. So sometimes, you know, WebMD and the internet just, just doesn't do it. A few weeks ago, I was having some, some back pain, and, and I knew that probably just needed to let it rest for a little bit, but I was you're just feeling the discomfort. You're like, what, what exactly is going on here? And so I kind of go onto the internet and start typing in the symptoms. And you go to those pages, okay, if, if this is happening, then it's this. And, and you get to those questions. You're like, I, I don't know. Is this a pulsing pain or a throbbing pain? I don't And it kind of takes you down these different directions. And eventually, uh, I found out that my, my back was either caused by asthma or kidney stones, which <laughs> both of those did not seem uh, like. The, the correct diagnosis, and so that's, that's why I'm very grateful for, for doctors. We can go in and say, okay, this, this is what, this is the, my problem. Can you tell me what, what the cause of this is? Some of those are, are hard to diagnose. Some are easy. Some physical problems are easy. We were walking through a field with our kids a few years ago, and one of my kids is like, hey, Dad, what's, what's wrong with that rabbit? I said, well, that rabbit is dead. Uh, <laughs> well, how, how do you know, Dad? Well, it's not moving. Not breathing. Part of the bunny is over here and part of the bunny is over there. <laughs> I hit it with a lawnmower yesterday, uh, not intentionally, but you know, it's dead. E- very easy to diagnose, right? Now, when it comes to our, our spiritual condition, when it comes to, okay, here's what's going on spiritually with me, we see that there are some things that are very easy to diagnose. Now, and if you look at the text, Look back into verse 16. Remember, Paul has given an instruction. He says, walk by the Spirit. And A few weeks ago, we talked about, okay, how do I walk by the Spirit? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Paul says, okay, if you, if you walk by the Spirit, if you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh, okay? These, these things are opposed to each other, the, the 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 spirit is opposed to the flesh. The flesh is opposed to the spirit. These things are in opposition to one another. And he says, I'm telling you, walk by the spirit. And so we talked about, okay, how do we do that? Now now the question is, how can I be confident that that I am doing that? So I, I try to walk by the Spirit not not on the basis of my own works, but turning to Jesus Christ and trusting in him and by his by his enabling strength, doing the things he's called me to do okay i I think that I'm doing that now, how can I be sure that I'm doing that and and paul says look it's it's really easy in some ways it's it's very easy. You look at what you're doing. In your life, and you're going to see either the, the works of the flesh or you're going to see the fruit of the spirit. And these things are, are ultimately very easy to distinguish from one another. Now, this morning we're going to be we're going to talk first today, and then about the, the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, and next week we'll be talking more about the fruit of the spirit. But but what do we know about the flesh? Remember, we saw a few weeks ago, that the flesh, that that word can mean several different things as Scripture uses it, but but flesh, as Paul uses it here, it it means that part of us that is in opposition to God, that that part that we used to be slaves to, that now we've been freed from, but there's still a temptation to live in subjection to. The the flesh is that part of us that is in opposition to God and, and his will for us. And so what does that mean? It means when I walk by the flesh or walk according to the flesh, I'm going to be doing those things that are in opposition to what God would be desiring me to do. The flesh wants things that are in opposition to God. And so when I walk in the flesh, I'm going to be doing those things that are are coming from a heart that doesn't desire to, to be obedient to God and to glorify him. And so scripture tells me I can look at what I'm doing, and I can tell, okay, is, are these things that I'm doing coming from a heart that desires to glorify God or a heart that desires to glorify self, a heart of the flesh? Now, now here's the problem. Here, here's kind of what I want us to think about this morning. Some of us, some of us are very ignorant when it comes to, to, to works of the flesh that Paul's talking about here. In other words, if, if you were to ask some of, if someone that were to ask me, hey, are, are, you, are you a Christian? Are you, are you walking in a way that's pleasing to God? I might say, absolutely. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm walking in a way that, that pleases God and honors God. God and I are doing well. I'm, I'm living a life that I think brings glory to him. And, and yet, I could say that, and at the very same time, I could be manifesting the, the, wor- the, the works, the deeds of the flesh in my life. My life could be characterized by arguing with other believers, by strife within my family. It could be characterized by, by greed, by lust, by all these things we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. My life could be characterized by that, but I don't, I don't see that. I'm not thinking about that. And so I think, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm walking by the Spirit generally, and yet my works betray me, Right? What I'm doing betrays. No, I'm, I'm actually ignorant of the fact that I'm, I'm walking in the flesh. That, that's one thing that I want us to, to talk about today. And then also this morning, I want us to see the danger of walking in the flesh. Becomes, because sometimes, quite frankly, we become very complacent to the flesh in our life. So we see, we see these things in our life, okay, I know that maybe I, I watch some things on TV that aren't the best, or maybe I, I talk in a way that I shouldn't talk, or maybe I don't treat people the way in my family that I should treat them, or I'm not loving people in the church the way that I should, but you know what, we're all people, we're all sinners. And, and yes, that's true, we're all sinners, we're all people who need to turn to Christ, but hopefully as we look at what what the end result of living according to the flesh looks like, we say, you know what, I, I don't desire this, I desire To walk by the Spirit, I want God to continue His work of sanctifying grace in my life. So, what we're going to do, what we're going to do, we're going to to, to look at this passage. We're going to to first spend some most of our time this morning talking about the deeds of the flesh. Then we're going to talk about the danger of the flesh. Then we're going to talk about the death of the flesh. How do we put the flesh to death? And kind of the main idea that I want us to focus on this morning is this, all right? As we recognize the works of Of the flesh in our life, we're going to fearfully repent of sin and turn in faith to Christ. As you and I recognize the works of the flesh, what is a believer supposed to do? We're going to fearfully repent of sin. Say, okay, I see this. I don't desire this to be true of me. I'm going to turn from this and turn in faith to Christ. I'm going to repent of the works of the flesh and I'm going to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. So let's talk through this. Here's the first thing I want to talk about. Let's first talk about the deeds of the flesh and these are recounted for us in verses 19 through 21. Now before I start going through these, there's something I want you to notice. Look at what Paul says. The first thing to notice here is that the deeds of the flesh are evident. He says now the works of the flesh are evident. That word evident means to be readily known. It's it's visible. It's it's clear. It's 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 plain it can be known and and why is it evident it's evident because the deeds of the flesh the works of the flesh are, are simply the outworkings of the desires of the flesh so the flesh what does the flesh desire the flesh desires that which is in opposition to God so whatever God wants the flesh wants the reverse of that and so why is it why is why are the works of the flesh evident they're evident because they're simply the the outworkings of what the heart of flesh desires. So, the heart of flesh doesn't desire to glorify God. The works of the flesh are simply working out what that heart wants. They're evident. They're visible. A few years ago, uh, my dad and, and mom gave Whitney some apple trees for her birthday. And they gave three apple trees. Now, two of the apple trees, um, well, they could use some work. They're, they're not doing that great. You know, if you were to look at those trees and you weren't, uh, if you're, let's say me, if I were just to look at that tree and I didn't know what it was and you're saying, Daniel, what kind of a tree is that? I would say, I, I don't know. It, it's a tree. It's not big enough for climbing yet. I don't know. I can't tell anything about it. But the, the third tree is doing well. That third tree is, is producing apples every year. Some, some years better than others. And so if you were to, to, to take me and place me in front of that tree, say, okay, Daniel, what kind of tree is that? I well, say, well that, that's an apple tree. How do you know? Well, there's apples all over the ground. There's apples coming out of it right now. You pick them off this tree. These, this is an apple tree. It's, it's evident. It's clear. Now, when it comes to the works of the flesh, the things that, that come out of the, the person who's not walking the spirit but walking the flesh, it's it's evident, it's it's visible. You can can know it, you can see it, you can discern it. Why? Well, again, there's the spirit and the flesh. These things are opposed to each other, and the fruit of each, the the works of each are going to manifest themselves. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look here at the, the works of the flesh and we're going to see kind of four categories of desire, so the flesh desires that which is in opposition to God, and so we're going to see kind of four categories of the things that the flesh desires they're in opposition to what God would desire, and we're going to see kind of take this longer list and, and break it into four categories. Some of these overlap a little bit. maybe this isn't exactly um you know they're not exactly distinct, but they're they're kind of some some broad categories I think we can. Can, can lump them into. So let's, let's examine each of these. Here's, here's the first category. The first category, the first three things that Paul mentions here, these are the flesh's sexual desires. So the flesh desires things, right? Some of the things that the flesh desires are, are sexual in nature, okay? And these are, again, in opposition to what the spirit would desire. He says the first three things, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Now, let's, let's think about this. Remember what the Spirit desires when it comes to the area of of sexuality. Remember we went through Leviticus 18 and uh, some years ago, and we examined sexuality and, and holiness. We saw that holiness is devoting ourselves to God, and we saw that God has designed this, this one-flesh relationship to be a, a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And And sexuality is not given to us for our own selfish desires, but sexuality is, is given to, to glorify God, and we're to experience the, the joy of a sexual relationship within the context of marriage, glorifying God. And apart from that marriage relationship, we're to abstain from Uh, exercising our sexuality physically. We're to to honor God in that area of life. Why? Because that's why God has given it to us. Sexuality and and marriage are to be pursued in a way that reflects God's holiness, we saw. And it's true for every area of life, but it's also true in this area. Now, that's what the Spirit desires, right? The Spirit desires that you and I would use the, the sexuality that God has given us not to glorify ourselves, but ultimately, just like every other resource, every other thing that God has given us we're to use it to glorify God that includes the area of of sexuality but what does the flesh desire the flesh is in opposition to God and his glory and so the flesh desires that which is contrary to to a lifestyle that will glorify God And, and he mentions three things here Okay, he mentions three things. I think it 's perhaps fitting that Paul begins with this category. He, he knew the struggle that his Gentile audience feared that the Gentile audience that Paul is writing to is different than the Jewish audience that the Gentile audience that he 's writing to was a part of a Roman culture that had largely given itself over to to sensuality. Uh, immorality, adultery, homosexuality, all these other practices that Jews would have found reprehensible, this culture was was immersed in them. And, and Paul has said, look, you don't have to be Jewish, but he's saying at the same time, even though you don't have to be Jewish, you can't embrace the morality of the Gentile world either. So the, the words he uses, sexual immorality, was a, a general term that talked about sin in the sexual realm. The Gentile world, again, is a world that had, that had kind of removed restraints sexually and and was just in, indulging in impurity. And Paul says, no, 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 you, you can't be a part of that. As he would say in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it's the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. He uses the word impurity here, or moral impurity. This, this word also uses, is used to describe sexual sin. It's often used in conjunction with this word sexual immorality. and Then he uses the word sensuality. Sensuality, uh, or in other translations, use the word debauchery depravity, uh, promiscuity. One commentator calls this, this wild living. Basically it's saying, okay, here's what, here's what God has, has said are the, the constraints for a sexual relationship or for me thinking about sexuality. Okay, I'm going to take those restraints and remove them. I'm going to live sensually. I'm going to live however I desire to live. Now again, this conduct comes from where the conduct comes from what's within the heart jesus would say in mark 7 what comes out of a person is what defiles him it's not the external things it's the internal things for from within out of of the heart of man comes evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery coveting wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 12 would say, when I come to you I'm nervous that many of you have sinned earlier and not you haven't repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, the sensuality that they've, they've practiced. So there's this, this thing internally, the flesh, that desires to, to, to not honor God but to exalt self. And Paul says, look, th- th- these, these are the The deeds of the flesh come from this this heart that doesn't desire to bring glory and honor to God. God desires that we worship him in in all areas. And perhaps perhaps there's no other area in our culture today in which the, the flesh is celebrated so so blatantly and flagrantly in other words okay here's here's our our flesh here's what we we desire to do and perhaps there's no other area than in terms of of sexual desires in which we've we've said okay what we desire in this area becomes a moral good in other words morality is defined not by what god would say not by what we've we've understood morality to be but instead the standard of morality is what is is essentially what we desire And to tell someone uh, to live in a way other than what they desire is to be morally evil. That's kind of where our culture has come today. So, for example, uh, you're a young person. And you say, okay, I'm I'm a young person and I desire to to live in obedience to God and and obey Him in the area of sexuality. And yet the culture says, look, if, if you're a young person... What's morally good is you having the freedom to engage in in sexual conduct as as you desire, however you desire. That becomes a moral good. But what what is that? That's that's the flesh. Or a person in the workplace struggling, how do I I think rightly about these things? and Morality and and understanding what what God's word says about how to to think about all these different areas. We're identified, in fact, in our culture today, we're, we're identified by our fleshly desires. It's very, very strange, very strange. The flesh wants to obscure the God-glorifying purpose of sexuality, and yet uh, God calls us, look, respond to a culture that, that celebrates sexual sin by saying, no, no, I'm going to glorify God in this area. And so we, we ask ourselves, as I look at my life, what sort of deeds do I see being, being produced? Do I see a life that is is reflected of the morality which God would call me to in the area of sexuality? Or do I see the works of the flesh? Do I see myself engaging, thinking about things in a way that would not bring honor and glory to God? Here's the second category. We next see the flesh's religious desires. We see the flesh's religious desires. He says, the next two words he uses here are idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry and sorcery. Uh, I don't know how many kids we have in here. How many of you in uh Sunday school kids today uh, learned about idolatry? Yeah. So I was, I was, um, I was walking by the I think I was walking by the five and six-year-old class, and I heard a kid give a definition of idolatry that was, you know, anything we I think he said I couldn't, I'm not sure if it was a he or she now. I can't remember. It was uh, anything that we Anything that we love or worship that's not God. I think is what the, the young person said. Just a great definition of, of idolatry here. So, so what, is the, what is the spirit desire? Right? The spirit desires worship. The spirit desires that we worship as we're fueled by a contemplation of who God is. So the spirit says, okay, I want you to think rightly about who God is. And as you think rightly about who God is, I want you to, to worship him. So, for example, in Isaiah Isaiah contrasts worship of God with worship of idols. God says in Isaiah 40, verse 18, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compares with him? A- an idol? Are you kidding me? That's my translation. A, a craftsman cast an idol a goldsmith overlays the idol with gold and casts it for silver chains he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot he seeks out a a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that that will not move he says okay God says are are you going to compare me with some sort of idol an idol is something that you just you fashion for yourself you have a lot of money maybe you make it out of something nice you don't have a lot of money you make it out of wood Are, are you kidding me That's who you're going to worship, and that's who you're going to compare worship of me with. And then God goes on, and in verse 25. He says this, to, to whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out the, the stars by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He goes on and talks about the, the awesomeness of, of God, and so Isaiah's point there as God speaks to Isaiah is, look, if you're going to worship me rightly, don't fashion some image of me and say, okay, this is God, and and he's a really nice guy, and this is kind of the the beauty of the God that we were. Don't don't fashion some idol, call it me, and love love it, and worship it. Instead, contemplate the revelation that I've given you of myself, and as you contemplate my beauty and my majesty, worship. That's what the Spirit desires. What does the flesh desire? The flesh desires to worship self. And so, what are the next two things that he mentions? Idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry, again, is, is that person mentioned in the five and six-year-olds. It's, it's worship of anything that isn't God, loving something that isn't God, and, and calling it God. 1 Corinthians ten fourteen tells us to, to flee idolatry. The word sorcery here, or witchcraft, is like a a manipulation of the spiritual world to, to get what one desires and and I think many of us do this unintentionally we're not thinking of we're practicing sorcery but we believe okay I can I can somehow manipulate God I can somehow manipulate the spiritual world in such a way that I can I can get the things that I desire maybe if I if I pray this way God will have to give me this or if I I live my life this way then these things will have to happen to me if I turn the lights just a certain way in worship, then, then God will have to show up and, and do something that feels this way. And, and those, those things are, are not how God calls us to think about him, not how he calls us to think about the spiritual world, the spiritual realm. We don't fast, we don't pray to, to, to force God and to force this, the spiritual world to act in cert, a certain way. We respond to God of Scripture, we contemplate who he is, and We worship. Jared Wilson, in the book, The Gospel-Driven Church, talks about this in the context of of the worship service. He's talking about the attractional church model of church and and how all of us, I think, are tempted to want to design a church service around our our preferences, around exactly what we want. And he says um, says that the primary problem with the attractional approach to music and singing is that it's feelings-based. It's not faith fuel. In other words, the the attractional model of kind of trying to get unbelievers to come to the church and, and worship is you know it's it's based upon feeling. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make this this feeling. In a, in a, in a church service, he says it's, it's not based upon on faith. Okay, here's who God is and contemplating His beauty and responding in worship to that. But he says, but there's a related problem that's and it's this that it's it's this type of worship is undeniably individualistic. This, this paradigm ex- creates an environment where masses of people can gather and yet have an individual worship experience. In other words, sometimes it's possible for us to come into a church service and say, okay, I, I want everything to be such a way that I can I can relate to God individually as, as I desire to picture him and as I desire him to be. I can sing songs that are, that are weak enough for me to kind of impart my own meaning into whatever those texts mean, as opposed to saying, okay, God, who do you say that you are? And, and who do you tell me that you are? Okay, help me understand who you are. And as I understand who you are on the basis of your word is revealed through the Spirit teaching me through song and through the teaching of the word, that's the God I'm going to worship and respond to. Do we see this fruit in our lives? Do we see idolatry? Do we see sorcery in terms of the idea that, okay, I can, I can kind of manipulate God to do the things that I want him to do, and if he doesn't do what I want him to do, there's going to be a problem because I'm going to be upset at him? That's a fruit of the flesh. If we see that in our, our lives, it's a warning, okay, it's a warning that there's, there's, a, there's a, f- a heart of flesh, not a heart being led by the Spirit. Here's a third category to think about. The flesh's relational desires. These also, the flesh's relational desires also manifest themselves in our behaviors. He says, he goes on, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Now, now what does the spirit desire? The spirit desires a community of Christ, a, a community that's that's devoted to, to love and to good deeds towards one another, that's that's sacrificial in how we relate to one another. What does the flesh desire? The flesh the flesh desires a community destroyed. The flesh desires a community that doesn't glorify God, but that glorifies self, that exalts self. All the things that Paul mentions here refer to the deeds of the flesh that are going to destroy the community of faith that the spirit is desiring to, to create here. These are things that so easily creep into our lives and relationships. Listen to some of the things that he mentions here and what they mean. Enmity are other words that are used to describe this this word that Paul uses, uh, hostilities or hatreds, expressions of hatred. This is the the opposite of the love that is supposed to to flow within a community of faith. Sometimes enmity can be explosive. You know, it's people yelling at each other in the hallways, which does not happen very often here, fortunately. But it can also refer to kind of like a, a simmering, a simmering hatred, a simmering hostility, man, that person really just sets me off. I'm just so as I think about them i'm I'm really bothered by them. He uses the word strife it's it's, it's quarrelling. this is a relationship that's not marked by by love for another person and deference and preference it's a it's a seeking out of our our own um, our our own winning a disagreement. It's conflict. It's it's taking the enmity that, that exists within a relationship and it's it's manifesting itself into to open conflict. I don't agree with your politics or your decisions and parenting or your convictions regarding your medical decisions, and so I you know I I'm upset and there's some sort just some sort of difference between us begins to to work its way to. It goes from enmity to quarreling. He mentions the word so enmity, strife, jealousy, jealousy. That, that word in this context refers to a person who desires their own glory. James 3.16 says this, where, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Let me read that again. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Where there exists within a community of faith a desire to exalt myself, to seek my own preferences at the expense of other people's preferences, the the inevitable result is conflict. I cannot be jealous for God's glory and my own glory simultaneously. Those things simply can't happen. He mentions next fits of anger. It's one word in the Greek, or outbursts of anger. It encompasses the idea of of uncontrolled rage. Proverbs warns us about the destructive power of anger and to stay away from, from angry people. This isn't just some sort of personality trait, it's an outworking, a response to the, the heart of flesh that isn't getting what it desires. The The next three words that he uses kind of overlap here. He uses next the word rivalries, or some translations say dispute, selfish rivalries, or, or selfish ambitions. This, this, this word seems to describe kind of a a gentle, a, a general attitude of of selfishness in church life or in family life or in whatever area of life. Romans 2:8 Paul writes for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness there will be wrath and fury. Philippians 1:17 talks about people who proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. In other words, that they're doing something good but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Later in Philippians he'll say do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's destructive in a church to have a flesh manifesting itself in rivalries. The next words he uses here is dissensions, dissensions, uh, disagreements. Again, have 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 blossomed to this this stage. It's a group of people that are marked by by discord. The next word that he uses is is divisions. This. This also describes factions. So now it's, it's more organized than the previous word in this, this context. It's talking about the, these people who have dissented, and now they're, they're starting all of these different factions within the body of Christ. And this is not of the Lord. It's one of the marks of false teachers to create these, these factions. Small divisions exist within a church that's, that's marked by the flesh. Elder board starts factions, or the deacon board starts factions, or there's women's, women's ministries develop rifts between the the singles and the marrieds, or whatever happens, this does not reflect a heart of the Spirit. Next word he uses is envy, is envying. I want to have what you have instead of being contented with what God has given me. One of the main reasons, I was reading an article this past week, one of the main reasons that that people, it said, join a church is because of a sense of, of belonging. People want to Belong in a place, but it's good, right? It's good. If you don't feel like you belong at your church, that's that's not a happy thing. But that desire, that desire can also be a fleshly desire, right? In other words, if a person approaches the community of faith and says, "Okay, I I want to I want to feel like I belong," and, and by that, what I mean is, I want I want this to look the way I, that I want it to look. I want people to talk to me this way, and I, I want people to to meet these needs that I feel like I have. If a person approaches the community of faith with, with that as their their primary thinking, brothers and sisters, that's 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 a reflection of a heart that's desiring fleshly things, walking in the flesh, and it's it's not going to go well in terms of being able to experience the the fullness of the joy that God would desire for you to have in your community of faith. Because inevitably, people are not going to treat us the way that we should be treated or even want to be treated, much less want to be treated. Instead, the the heart that's guided by the Spirit says, okay, I'm going to approach this community of faith not with, okay, uh, I'm envious, there's divisions, I I want uh, people to... I have these selfish ambitions. I want people to recognize me for what I'm doing. Instead, that the heart that's, that's being guided by the Spirit, and we'll talk more about this next week, approaches the community of faith and says, okay, I have the ability by God to minister to the people that he's brought me in relationship with. I have the opportunity to, to model the grace of God in my relationships with other believers. This person over here, I'm not, Pointing, I'm pointing at Mike. This person over here is kind of a jerk, right? Actually, I'm pointing at where I was sitting earlier. That person is kind of, I mean, just between us, he's kind of a jerk. My, my, God has not placed me within the community of Christ so that I can be offended by the jerk or that I can be jealous of what someone else has. God has placed me within the community of faith, not to live according to my flesh, but to say, okay, God has placed me to, to love this person and say, okay, let me model for you in our relationship what God has done for me. Let me model the, the spirit that's working in me that should be working in you as well. Let me let me model that for you, not by my own efforts, because if I'm doing this on my own efforts, what's going to happen? Flesh, 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 envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, quarreling, it's gonna be terrible. But if I model this, if I model the spirit, okay. Let me model the spirit in this relationship. God, allow me to walk in Your spirit, not operate the way that I would operate in my flesh, but operate the way that You would. I have the opportunity to show grace and love in the context of relationships that God has placed me in. Last category, we see of the flesh's desire, the flesh's the flesh's reckless desires. The the flesh. The flesh has reckless desires that also manifest themselves in behavior. So the spirit desires self-control and discipline. What does the flesh desire? It desires hedonism, recklessness. He uses the words drunkenness and, and orgies. Drunkenness is this loss of control. Orgies, or other translations use the word carousing, carousing. Orgies is probably too sexual a term in our minds. It's, it's, it's broader, it's, it's wild partying, it's, it's excessive feasting. It's a lack of control, a lack of discipline, a lack of, of orderliness. The flesh doesn't desire shackles. The flesh desires freedom misconstrued. Not freedom to worship God, but freedom to engage in destructive behavior. And then Paul says, things like these. In other words, I ain't said everything. (laughs) There's a lot more deeds of the flesh that I can mention. But these are just four categories. The flesh desires that which is in opposition to God. This expresses itself in our sexuality. It expresses itself in our religious desires, in our relational desires, and in, in, in reckless desires. Now, why is this dangerous? Let's look now at the danger of the flesh. The danger of the flesh. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before. There's a caution that Paul wants us to heed. Here's his warning. Those who do such things. Now, now hopefully, as, as as I mentioned, as I kind of, Read through and, and talk to. Okay, here's what it means. Here's what the the uh, here's what sexual morality means, and here's what envy and, and drunkenness means. Here's, here's what all this means. Hopefully, as we read through that, say, okay, I I can see, I, I understand the the flesh is, is still with me. I'm not a slave to the flesh any longer by the grace of God, but I I still understand those desires. In other words, there there shouldn't be a single thing on this list where you 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 hear and you say, boy, I can't even imagine how a person could have any sort of desire to engage in that sort of conduct. How how shocking, right? None of us should say that all of us should say, okay, I recognize the reality of of the existence of the flesh. I understand how a person could could have a desire to to walk down a path marked by, for example, enmity. I understand how a person could desire to practice idolatry. I'm not I'm not so I'm not so um, saintly that I can't even imagine how a person could grasp or could have that desire. But Paul says, "Okay, okay, all those things and, and, and more. I, I'm warning you. My, I'm pleading with you to grasp this truth. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God." Now, I'll tell you, when I was when I was memorizing, uh, kind of through this list, I, I memorized the fruit of the spirit really easily. Right? Like that was, you know, as a, as a kid, you memorized the fruit of the spirit, and there's a little song that goes with it and stuff. But the the, the, the I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to memorize all the works of the flesh, but you know, I kind of tried to think through a couple things. I got him down. And then I, I can remember um, I can remember being on a, a run I, I try to memorize Galatians when I was when I was running. I was on a run and I just I just had finished memorizing the list and then I get to those those words that Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It stopped me literally in my tracks. I said, oh God, please, please let my life not be characterized by these things because there's a danger. And we, we know there are people that we love whose, de- whose lives are, are marked by, by giving over to these things. And, and it's very obvious, okay, that this does not seem like a person who's headed toward the kingdom of God. This seems like a person who's, who's headed for destruction. And Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The, the, the eschatological, the end times are, are not going to be a, a good thing for the person who walks in these things. And you say, okay, does this, does this refer to me? Now, the ESV uses the word do such, do, to translate this word do such things. Other translations use the word practice, which I think is a a better translation. The the NIV uses the phrase, those who live like this. And I think those are perhaps some better ways to get out the the nuance of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, if if your life is characterized by the, the works of the flesh, There's a problem because what it indicates is that you're still a slave to the flesh, that Christ has not transformed you by the gospel. You've not trusted in Jesus Christ for eternal life yet. Your heart hasn't been transformed. You're you're a slave to these things. You say, well, Daniel, is that me? Does this apply to me? It's an important question to ask. I would ask myself, look, am I at war? You know, if I'm at war, that's a good sign because why? The the, the spirit is against the flesh, and the flesh is against the spirit. These things are in opposition to one another. And so if the, the spirit is residing in me, there, there should be this, this war, this internal battle that I'm engaged in. Do I desire, when I encounter the flesh in my life, do I desire to continue to walk in that? Or I say, okay, this is not who I am in the spirit. I no longer want to, to live like this. Is, is, are these things generally characteristically true of my lifestyle? If so, that's, that's a problem. I need to, to ask for God's grace and ask, God, help me repent of these things. The danger of the flesh is this that the person who lives in the flesh is not a child of God. And as we encounter the deeds of the flesh in our life, what should happen? There should be fear. What does this mean? Why is this here? God, in your grace, help me to turn from this because I I believe I'm your child, and I desire to, to turn from this sin as I recognize the danger of where walking in the flesh leads. Last thing, the death of the flesh. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week, but let me just say this. You don't fight the flesh with the flesh. In other words, I don't see the the work of the flesh. And I say, okay, this is this is this is the work here. It's not the work of the spirit. It's the work of the flesh. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try hard. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You don't fight the flesh by just saying, okay, I'm not going to envy anymore. I'm not going to. I'm not going to uh, practice idolatry. I'm, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do this. I'm not. Gonna, what we do is what we. The first thing we do, we confess, God, this is sin. I'm turning from this. And I'm turning in faith to your son, Jesus. Please forgive me, and please give me the grace to walk in obedience. We'll talk more about this next week. As we recognize the works of the flesh, what? We fearfully repent of sin and turn to faith in Christ. May God give us the grace to do that this week. Let me pray for us, and then we'll pass out the elements of the Lord's Supper. Father, we do thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you through the work of the Spirit in our lives. You convict us of sin. Father, for those of us who have, who have trusted in your Son, Jesus, help us to, to see the works uh, working out of flesh in our life and to repent of those things and to recognize these things do not belong And in the heart of a believer. Help us to, to, to see them and, and to turn from them. And by your grace, behold the beauty of your Son, Jesus, and rest and trust in him and walk in the Spirit. Father, for those of us who may not be believers, help us to recognize the, the, the offer of your Son, of eternal life through faith in him. Help us to celebrate the death and resurrection of your son Jesus as we partake of your supper here together this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen.